Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 74 of the Live Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And I have numerous guests that I have been wanting to get on for a very long time. There are some that scheduling still has never worked. Uh, we're talking months, sometimes even years. And so Jason Brown, my pal, I find, we finally made it work. He's a busy dude. So uh, we have got him on air today. So it's a real pleasure to have you. A little bit about Jason for those of you who may not be super familiar. He's uh, kind of the same generation of T-Nation writers that I am. Uh, guys like you, me, Gareth Sapstead, and Matthew Ibrahim all kind of you know, took over, I suppose, from the, the old school people that we had been following for years. You know, your Tony Jellicors and your um, that big, long, long list of people like Ben Bruno. Sure. But a, a little more about you. You are an educator, public speaker. Uh, you mentor other fitness professionals. Uh, not only have you written for T-Nation, you've li- written for Elite FTS and more. You've authored a book now, Lower Body Training Through uh, Human Kinetics, which is, I know, one of the things that was really keeping you busy. And you're a former uh, CrossFit box gym owner and uh, you're a big devotee of the conjugate method, which is where I want to go first, but it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, like you said, it's it's always uh, a challenge to make time for, I mean, we're all busy, right? doesn't matter whether or not you've got kids or you've got... Uh, one thing or another, we're all busy. So it's always, uh, it's always tricky to make time, but I'm happy to, to connect with you. I know we've, uh, gone back and forth over the years. I always appreciate your voice notes you send me and, uh, <laughs> happy to be here, man. Let's it's almost perfect timing too, because you know, the, the strength training world just recently, you know, is in mourning over the passing of Louis Simmons, right? He's a, he's a legendary space. And quite funny enough, I suppose, because I've never really grew up around powerlifting and all of it. Louis' reach for my uh, work has been fairly limited, but I know he's, he was a mentor. You, were, you spent considerable time at, uh, at his gym. Mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of hear what you had to say about, I, I want to point out to your certified spe- special strength coach with Westside Barbell, right? Like that's mm-hmm. one of the things that you've done. And we can talk yes. a little bit more about that, what that means. Sure. But can you share his influence and legacy on strength training as a whole, not just for the hardcore powerlifting world, but the fitness industry as a whole. And then we can pivot into how the conjugate method, how it works. And because he popularized it and you use it a lot in your training. I do. Yes. Yeah. So I, my initial exposure to the conjugate method was back in 2004, the facility I trained at as a young athlete was using this system with all its athletes almost exclusively. So I had the ability to train at this facility. I worked under great coaches. Um, I had the advantage of being an intern there and being able to ask questions. And that was kind of like my formal education early on. And, you know, at the time it's funny, if you think back to like the early teenage days, there was like a, a daily article. And some of the people you mentioned, like Chad Waterbury or Cressy, uh, Louis Simmons, Dave Tate, you know, I would, I would read the daily article. So that was like, before I actually did any formal, like real formal, as far as like, a, you know, in the um, university setting, that was, I was getting a lot of my information from, and a lot of the practical stuff was coming, just being in the trenches and doing it myself and seeing the changes in my own body. So that was my early exposure to Louis Simmons. And I remember seeing, you know, like the VHS tapes, my strength coach had of, you know, all of, you know, Louie put out this, this incredible VHS tape line, which is kind of funny. Now I don't even think I have a, a VHS player, uh, but it was like Louie on the cover with like his pit bulls and a barbell. And that was like my first kind of glimpse at Louie Simmons. And, you know, this system for me kind of just spoke, you know, volumes. Everyone was getting insanely strong. We were seeing it carry over to, you know, I played football in, in high school and in college And uh, we were just seeing kind of the fruits of our labor play out on the field. So to me, it was kind of a no brainer. This stuff works. And, uh, you know, I, along the way, experimented with various types of training. I mean, when I was in college, we were doing, uh, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. And um, every time I went back, you know, as the the semester ended or, um, you know, during summer break, I was back at the facility that I was an intern at back doing the conjugate method. And I would always come back stronger and better. And a lot of people were like, well, what are you, you know, what are you doing for training? And, you know, why are you setting, I, I had all the, in my position, I had all of my records 
on my team as a running back, um, you know, for bench press, squat, power clean. And again, it was really a testament to the system itself. So that was like kind of my initial exposure to the conjugate way of training. Um, and you know, for me, I'm very type a, so if I do something and I get a result, it starts kind of piquing my interest. Um, but I really didn't go down the rabbit hole until later on after I actually got out of college, went into the military, got exposed to CrossFit. That's how I got exposed to CrossFit was through the military. And that kind of really kind of opened up the door for me as far as energy systems and understanding conditioning. Cause we didn't really get a whole lot into conditioning. It was more of more or less specificity to the sport we were playing. Um, so there wasn't any aerobic development or there was nothing, you know, that would potentially take us outside of what we were doing in the sport we were playing. Um, so there was definitely an area of low hanging fruit for me. I didn't know it at the time, but, um, I would later realize that just kind of a big area of weakness for me, it's both an athlete as well as a coach was just my knowledge of the aerobic system. So needless to say the two worlds of like CrossFit and conjugate kind of came together. And when we opened our gym, I, myself and my wife at the time, she was not my wife, but, uh, <laughs> we opened our gym and I was like, let's, you know, let's open a CrossFit gym. It's a good name. People know what CrossFit is and people are, are, are interested in it, but let's do it different. Let's have a set schedule. Let's apply a lot of what I know from the strength and conditioning side of things. And let's get people really, really fit, but let's not burn them out. And let's not, you know, put them into doing workouts that they really shouldn't be doing. Um, so that was kind of what our facility was. And that really kind of piqued the interest of a lot of other gym owners wanting to know what we were doing. Um, so that combination was just a great combination of both strength development, building GPP, but also building work capacity and building recovery through the aerobic measures. Um, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I'm not sure how far you want me to go down this journey, <laughs> but um, that's really kind of like the early, how things transition for me going from conjugate CrossFit, you know, getting out of the military, realizing that there were benefits to having, a, you know, a good aerobic system, but also being strength, being strong is really kind of the base of our pyramid, what we build all of our fitness qualities upon. Um, and, and then that kind of opened up the doors for a lot of other things for me. And I, neglected to mention within there as well, you have a master's of, I think, exercise science, right? So I do. Yes. Studied it just that much further to complement all this stuff. So let's actually like, for me, like when I hear the conjugate method for a really long time, I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't know what intuitively that means because I had not studied it. And I, I share this because <clears throat> there are going to be a lot of people listening who you sometimes hear these words or ideas or philosophies in our industry. And we can't possibly know it all. We certainly can't possibly know it all in grand depth. And if anyone is like me, you sometimes hear something and you're like, you feel kind of silly. You're like, I should know this. So you stay quiet. Mm -hmm. And I'm comfortable. I, I had, I was at a seminar recently with uh, the muscle doc, Jordan Shallow. And I remember he had said something fairly basic that he didn't really intuitively grasp, but he was very comfortable saying, listen, like, I don't fucking know what this means. And it just yeah. put me at ease. I'm like, because I feel pressure, like at this stage of my career, I should mm -hmm. know all this stuff. I should know in and out a lot of the, the depths of strength and conditioning. And ultimately I didn't. So I actually did a refresher on conjugate method, just so I was really like up on top of it before you and I sat down here. But could you explain to everybody, first of all, how the conjugate method works mm -hmm. and its practical applications for any coach uh, who is working with maybe even general population clients? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I mean, at its base, base level, most people that think of the conjugate method, think of two max effort days, two dynamic effort days. So one day focusing on, focusing on maximal loading, one day focusing on more bar velocity. But I, I think that that's like probably the most remedial definition of it. There's so much more to it. And this is where I think people associate conjugate with just power lifters about building, you know, building the big three, building their squat bench and deadlift. But there's so much more to the system that's applicable to general fitness, to people that just want to look good and feel good. And that's where I've seen the biggest carryover. So if I was to break it down, the conjugate method is a mixed modality system of training that focuses on building strength 
through small exercises, your single joint exercise, your isolation work. And really kind of the crux of the system is work capacity. Well, how do you build work capacity? Well, you have to build work capacity. You have to start at the base level of, as Louis calls it, the base of the pyramid. A pyramid's only as big as its base. So you start with things like pulling the sled. So obviously anyone that knows Westside knows they pull a sled, but do they know why they pull a sled? The sled affords you the ability to build work capacity through building the aerobic system. If you build your aerobic system, you improve your ability to recover between sets. You improve your ability to recover between sessions. You improve how long you live. Okay. It's well established that aerobic fitness is correlated with how long someone lives. Um, you improve your ability to do anaerobic work um, and restore ATP between sessions. So like an American football player is a good example. We know that most plays are four to seven seconds in length, which is very anaerobic. It's very ATP PC system. However, there's only about 45 seconds of rest between plays. So how does someone recover if they only are anaerobically inclined? They don't recover well. And I, this is something I suffered from because my aerobic system was shit. So if you build your aerobic system, it has connections with anaerobic. It has connections with recovery. It has connections with how long you live. It can go down the list. I mean, it's really the only form of training that will, that someone can say you'll live longer if you prioritize it and there not be blown smoke. It's, it's well established that there is a big connection there. Um, so that I think is one of the things that a lot of people don't associate. You know, they look at power lifters and they're probably like, well, these guys aren't super healthy, but there are, you know, there are, there's a lot of validity to building work capacity with like pulling a sled, doing high volume band work, doing loaded carries and all the things that you and I associate you know, we have our clients do that stuff, but we probably don't think like, well, are they really doing a lot of that at Kanji? And I will tell or at Westside, and I'll tell you that they're doing, you know, 10 to 12 sessions a week. Now they're not all big sessions. They're not all max effort or dynamic effort. There's only actually four main sessions, but there are all these small sessions um, that are not very intensive on the nervous system either. So you can recover fast from them. So that is really kind of one of the main benefits of that system is structuring the training in a way that there is recovery between the most demanding sessions on the central nervous system, having smaller sessions or smaller modalities that allow you to build work capacity and then building dysfunction. So you do that through smaller exercises that build smaller muscle groups that assist the bigger lifts. So if you want to build your back squat, people think, well, I'll just back squat more, but they usually don't look at more of a granular level at like, where is the weakness? Is it because I can't stabilize my core? Is it because I have weak hamstrings and glutes? Um, where is the limiting factor? And one of the things that, you know, Louis has done is looked at well, where is someone most limited in that lift? And that's what we need to build upon. And when you build these weaknesses, you build the lift, but you also build resiliency and your ability to stay healthy and not get injured. Um, so uh, that's kind of more of like an overarching view of it. But if someone just said, well, what is it? It's a system, a mixed modality system that prioritizes working uh, both ends of the force velocity curve. So we work the velocity component with dynamic effort training. We work the force component with maximal effort training. And then all the really key pieces are the assistance and accessory exercises, and then the sled work. Um, and I do, and I prescribe it in a variety of ways. It's not just sled work. We do a lot of different types of aerobic style work. Um, but, but that's kind of like what the if I had to summarize it to someone and put it into to a, a definition that's kind of more relatable, that's how I would put it. So let's actually reframe it a little bit. So this will probably sound familiar to people. A couple other hallmarks of conjugate method are variation within the way that you subtle variation changes to the big lift. So that way it's not always the same. Um, and the focus on the accessories that and you've said this focus on the accessories that help fill in the gaps where someone's weak. So we have four day upper lower splits for the most part. We have a lot mm -hmm. of emphasis on strength. We have a lot of us, like you said, we do things like Barbara's carries and sled work with our clients and we focus on recovery. So that all of a sudden start starting to sound a lot more familiar to a lot of people who probably yeah. are doing much of this conjugate is just more systemized. And there's value in having a really good system because if you're consistently applying a system uh, and that's really just what our programs do. So conjugate is very proven in terms of its results. I mean, Westside is legendary for the strength athletes it produces. You know, you've seen a lot of success with it personally with the clientele you work with. So mm -hmm. if we go back to the coaches who are listening and thinking, all right, well, 
conjugate sounds as like this very complicated alien sort of thing, chances are you're applying a lot of the core fundamentals of conjugate. It's just that conjugate itself has, it's not even like it's a rigid system, but it does have a, a system and a philosophy under which we operate. So right. now that we've bridged that gap a little bit, mm -hmm. is there any advice that you would give coaches to take more of the value out of conjugate? Even if someone doesn't say, okay, I'm all of a sudden now a conjugate method coach, what else can we bring to our training with our clients that conj conjugate philosophy that will make us better coaches? Well, I think that one of the, the big pieces of that puzzle is understanding how the body responds to stress. And when Louis decided where he was going to put these sessions within a given week of training, that was a, a major consideration. And he always talks about, you know, having enough time between your higher threshold sessions, max effort training is very demanding on the nervous system. So you have a lot of people and social media does a great job at showing people doing hard training every day. I have commented on people's, I don't comment on a lot of people's stuff. I, I think one of the things, and, and actually it's probably a topic for a podcast that you should do is that the negative stuff that people post, it's usually people that like have no credibility or no, you know, I don't, I don't like saying anything negative to anyone. I, I want to be a positive person. Um, but some, you know, there are influences out there that are prescribing high intensity workouts on a daily, daily, daily basis. And I've commented and said, Hey, well, how long do you, uh, how many high intensity sessions do you recommend doing in a week? And someone will say like every day, well, if you're doing it every day, then there's, there's a problem because at the end of the day, the body is not a gumball machine where you just put quarters in and get gumballs up. There's a point of diminishing returns. And that's how the, that's how the body works. That's how the nervous system, when you have a baseline level of knowledge of what the nervous system, how it works in terms of, uh, you know, your CNS, um, your autonomic nervous system, your parasympathetic uh, nervous system. I mean, these are things that, that we can maximize. Um, so if we're constantly putting people into a fight or flight state, um, there's a problem because people are already chronically stressed out. You and I don't do not work well, work with someone that is not stressed out. It's inevitable. We're working with people that are stressed out. So if you stress them out daily, it's not a question of if it's a question of when they are going to overtrain. Um, so Louis had the, you know, the knowledge to say, Hey, we can do max effort training, but we can't do it every day. Um, and I think that's one of the main things that I would impart on other coaches is to say, think about how often you're stressing people out. Sometimes people need lower intensity training as really, they could be their entire program. If you have someone that is in law enforcement, they're really stressed out, the resting heart rates at 80, then, you know, the best, the best answer would likely be to find ways to bring them down. Um, and to build again, more low intensity measures to drive their stress levels down. Um, so I think that if you can take one message is having a structure, having a system, like you mentioned of where you do certain things and know that you're going to make your money on the low intensity, the, the small exercises you'll hear conjugate Louis say like it's 80, 20. So the 80, 20 rule is 20% is with bilateral movements and 80% is with single joint movements. Why, why, why does he spend so much time on single joint movements? Because they're low demand. There's a huge return on investment and they're a lot easier to recover from. So, I mean, I think that that would be kind of one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle is making sure that you're just not constantly stressing out your clients. And I've noticed in my own personal training, like for me with the exercise I choose, as I get a little bit older, I'm finding that I shift more and more towards unilateral training, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to just the, the beating of the big heavy barbell stuff. Yeah. Uh, my joints, especially my shoulder, doesn't like having a barbell across anymore for squatting. I love squatting. And I go mm -hmm. look at getting a, a duffalo bar and then maybe that'll give me that back. But I've been doing a lot of Bulgarian split squats. Those agree with me a whole lot more. I've been absolutely loving single leg Romanian deadlifts. Absolutely loving how those feel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anything to do with shoulder stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm still okay with some overhead barbell pressing, at least seated, right? I, the standing stuff just doesn't put me in a good angle, but I really like single arm stuff there. And I'm noticing that 
the things that are influencing me are also creeping into my programs with my clients. And we, we do that as coaches. I mean, we got to be careful not to go, Oh, well, what's working for me is obviously what we need for our clients. But we also know this is a general principle that, you know, it's good to have our clients doing a lot of unilateral stuff. That's without a doubt. That's really cool to kind of get that understanding of conjugate. I hope that's really helpful to anybody listening, especially if they're not super familiar with it. So let's, let's extend this a little bit more into general strength and conditioning. Cause when I think of people in our industry who really are the go-to people on strength and conditioning, it's you, it's Joel Jameson, you know, a very, very small cluster of other people. You guys really have your media and your, your products, your courses, your mentorships or whatever are built around this stuff. And mm-hmm. it often feels like hardcore training stuff for the powerlifting side, for the competitive athletes. Can you give some fundamentals of strength and conditioning just further than what you've already done? that again would benefit every trainer, what every trainer should know, maybe resources they should be diving into. And let's talk about the stuff that you have, your coursework that uh, mm-hmm. trainers can benefit from. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a process. I think that at the end of the day, all of the formal education I've done, if I had to put a percentage on it, it would be very low as far as what it gave me, what it provided me with in terms of overall knowledge. Most of my, my learning came by way of my own trial and error, practical being in the trenches. I mean, again, at the end of the day, I can open a textbook right now and say, you know, look at a, a session that they have in essentials of strength training and conditioning. And a lot of them aren't practical. Okay. Textbook stuff. Usually, you know, generally speaking, not every textbook, but a lot of texts, it's not really practical to the real world. Doing 10 exercises for five sets of 10, it's not practical. <laughs> and if you're having your clients do that, then uh, uh, I don't know what to say about that because that's that's brutal. And I think you should probably try that session on yourself first um, because doing 50 reps for 10 exercises, that's that's miserable. But um, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, one of the best things is, number one, you have to practice what you preach. And like you just said, you're having all of these kind of aha moments with your own training. That the only thing that does, um, well, it does multiple things. It, it obviously empowers you to make better choices with your own personal programming, but that experience allows you to better connect with people you're working with that are probably experiencing the same thing. That's why I've, I've really kind of niched down with who I work with now and working with more people like myself, because I think at the end of the day, and this is something you do really well, connecting with people. You're not going to learn that at any university setting. You're not going to go get it, a certification that's going to teach you that. You have to do it. Um, so, you know, there are so many people that are making the shift to online training. They haven't done it in person. I, I mean, you guy, you and I can can uh, go back and forth on this, but I think that in person is, I think it's a prerequisite. I mean, would you agree with me? I'm a big believer in that. And here's how I've been you've been did this 17 years and this, this is actually where we're going to go next. You know, the balance between being savvy in the meat, in the way the social media is today without catching ourselves subscribing to gatekeeper philosophy. I think that the new model is really quite hybrid. And I think coaches are going to find their way into being involved in online more and more. Mm-hmm. I think you will always be a substantially better coach. If you have significant experience working with people, seeing how they move in real time. It will allow you to then translate that into online, watching video, give people coaching cues, the experience of actually interacting with those people. I I think they're essential for a great career. But the reality is we know that coaches are going to be getting into the industry and stepping into online sooner. So we have two choices. One, can we make those people better at all of it? Or can we turn around and say, from the, the loudest thing we have in our media say, no, you need five years of in-person yeah. training before you've earned the right. That Those people are going to tune that out. You all of a sudden now have lost the opportunity to be an educational influence to help them do it really well. So it's that balance of, and we'll come back to the whole gatekeeper idea, mm-hmm. but I mean, fundamentally, I agree with you. It's like, you will be a much, much better coach if you have substantial in-person time. We actually have to face the reality now that coaches are finding their way online quicker. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that, you know, it, it's, it was definitely a tremendous benefit for me to have, you know, I, I, I would say probably close to a decade. I went online 100% in 2016, which is, seems like forever ago now, but uh, I, I went online 
organically. And, you know, that's a, that's a, another story in and of itself, but, you know, having the in-person experience and then knowing that seeing, you know, literally thousands upon thousands of hours of seeing people move was definitely a huge benefit. Now, if the world shuts down right now and gyms are closed, people have to make a living. Now, if they have no in-person experience, then I would, I would agree. I'm still, I still want to support those people and not be like, Hey, well, you don't have the in-person experience. So screw you. That's the wrong answer too. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, and that's, you know, kind of where I've gone with teaching people a system of writing programs. Um, so they're not spending four hours writing a program for one person, because again, that's not going to be scalable for their time. Uh, but being able to write good programming quickly, that is going to be super important for them. So I forget where we were going with this now, but I think like the one thing I would impart on anyone, I wouldn't worry about a certification. A certification, you know, is not going to make you more money. Okay. Um, I could go get my PhD. Is it going to make me more money? No, I'm not. I'm probably, if I went to, went to, and even getting higher levels of education for, was more for me than it was for my income. Um, the biggest piece of the puzzle is, is just doing it and taking inventory on what works and what doesn't and using yourself as a human guinea pig, which kind of sucks because I want to, like anyone, like any of my clients, I want to just follow a program too and not have to think. But, um, you know, I've gotten to a point where I can do that now, but it's taken a long time and I still find myself, you know, putting myself in the trenches and testing some, you know, split or, or, or different take on using the conjugate system. Um, so I think that if you can just practice what you preach, be a human guinea pig um, and just educate yourself. There's so many good resources out there. Um, I mean, I even find myself, sometimes I go through old teen nation articles, like Mike Robertson, you know, it's got a bunch of great articles, uh, on teen nation on programming. And sometimes I find myself just like going through old stuff, like Charles Polygon or Mike Robertson or whoever, and, and reading some of that stuff and, and like gleaning new information from it, because my outlook now is different than it was 10 years ago. I actually got to hang out with Mike again in Florida at Raise the Bar. So talking about like T Nation alumni shit, Dan John was there, Lee Boyce was there, Tony Gentlecore was there. Uh, I brought Luca into T Nation, so he was there. Mike Robertson was there, and I'm probably missing at least a few more because that was quite the great. John Berardi was there. There you go, yeah. right? So that was cool. What you said about the education, and I think this is important too. I mean, I think we talk about this a lot, you know, not chasing education just for education's sake. And there was probably a time where I was like, almost like I didn't want to wave around the fact that I don't have a lot of what you would call formal education in fitness. My degree is actually a bachelor of commerce degree. I have an honors degree in business. And I never imagined finding myself in the fitness industry. I got started at 32 years of age. You got started quite young, but I found it later on with a lot of life experience. I think that in of itself has value. And it's certainly the industry that I'll probably never retire from. But I've also, I started with a very basic certification, right? I didn't go and get one of the more reputable ones when I started. And it's just been a general quest to learn. And I was reading T Nation from day one, uh, you know, before even this, I'm reading muscle fitness magazines. And if sure. you're clever, you can tease out a lot of really valuable information out of that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta be, you gotta have a good filter, but I've explored the resources that all of these great people that we've learned from and we know in our, our community, our peers now, and I'm always learning and I'm reading everything I can get my hands on. And the technical training side, you also learn a lot of that stuff by doing while bouncing the articles and the case certifications and like coursework or whatever, that stuff runs together. But then you got to fill in the gaps with things like, I'm going back through motivational interviewing and I love books on coaching because at the end of the day, you could have all the technical skills, but if you actually struggle to communicate effectively and create a really great experience with a person in front of you, it's not going to make a big difference. And that's a little right. bit more important when you're dealing with general population, personal training clients. It still matters when it comes to athletic settings, but you've got people who are also like self-selecting to, okay, cool. I'm going to do whatever the fuck you say. And they're really driven. So that's something that I think coaches need to pay more attention to as well as just simply the coaching quality of the interaction with the person in front of them. But I mean, I'm wandering off the original point too about strength and conditioning. So Let's just see if we can fill in any of the gaps. Is there anything that you feel like is deficient with trainers coming up through now in terms of their knowledge base of general strength and conditioning fundamentals 
do they tend to think of that as, oh, that's, that's strength coach territory for, you know, a- athletic populations and they don't even kind of penetrate that. Is there a barrier for them? I, you know, I think probably one of the, the limiting factors for a lot of coaches is that they consider themselves to be like on one side of the spectrum. So I will say that conjugate gave me one thing and, you know, for any of the guys that are just strength conditioning purists, they hate CrossFit. CrossFit gave me another thing. Then it, and it again, put me down the rabbit hole of learning more about energy systems. And again, I was like, Oh, I'm a strength coach. Well, you need to be a conditioning coach too. The two need to coexist. If you don't know how the two coexist, then you need to start learning how they coexist. Because again, nine out of 10 people that you're going to work with, they need some form of conditioning. They need to downregulate the stress response. They need to improve things like the resting heart rate. That's how you are going to keep clients for the long term. It's not going to be through the strength work. It's going to be through bringing down the stress levels. And so they can get more from the main sessions that you program for them. So don't consider yourself on one side. Like I'm just a strength coach or I'm just a CrossFit coach or I'm just a, you know, a rehab specialist. You, you'd have to have be well-versed um, in a lot of different things. And I think that understanding how the two can coexist is really important. And I don't think you need, you know, you don't need a formal level of education to know that. Um, you mentioned Joel Jameson. Joel Jameson opened my eyes up to aerobic training, um, you know, using things like the cardiac output method and, um, you know, different forms of aerobic conditioning and keeping the heart rate in the right range. Those are things that have huge return on investment. Um, so those are things that you need to start understanding because your clients probably aren't going to want to do it because it's not sexy. I post about it on social media. Those are always the worst posts. If you look at the insights for any of my aerobic posts, they're terrible. Um, <laughs> they get no reach, but I don't care because I know that there's three or four coaches that might see it that say, Hey, I, you know, I'm not using any of this in my program and maybe I should. Um, and they, you know, I usually send them back to an article. They can just read about it and I show them how to program it because that is the stuff that's not sexy. But if you can explain the why behind it, it's going to make more sense to your clients. And then they can start seeing the connections when they start getting better results. So I think at the end of the day, you should know why everything is in your program. If you don't know why, then there's a problem. There's a disconnect. And I think that if you don't know why, then it probably hasn't earned the right to be in your program. So know why you are doing what you're doing and have a system for that. Um, and don't fly by the seat of your pants and just take something off of social media. Everyone is different. Everyone needs some level of customization. So figure out what that system is for you. And it doesn't have to be my system or your system. It could be your own system, make it your own. Um, of course, like one of the things that I help coaches with is figuring out what that system is for them. And there are certain things that we can live by. We can live by the fact that high intensity workouts take a minimum of 72 hours to recover from. So you should follow that rule. Number one, the second rule is, is that, you know, again, going back to Louie, a pyramid is only as big as its base. So build a base through loaded carries, through sled drags, through, you know, some kettlebell work, some things that are kind of just, you know, not going to break the bank, so to speak, you can recover from, but you can also build strength and build conditioning simultaneously. And then, you know, figure out where it is that someone's deficient. If you have someone that's got terrible recovery and their resting heart rates through the roof, you know, sometimes the best, the best course of action is addition by subtraction. You don't give them more high intensity training. You give them less. I know it sounds like rocket science, but, um, I think a lot of trainers just want to impress their clients of how much they can smoke them. And you know what, at the end of the day, anyone can be smoked. I can make you do a thousand burpees. You're going to be, you're going to be hurting if you do a thousand burpees. Um, but does that really make me a great trainer? And you know, no, it doesn't. So know why you're doing what you're doing and know how to build people up through low intensity measures and the rest falls into place. I don't know if that answers the strength and conditioning question. I think that that kind of beautifully wraps everything together. You know, you, you mean we don't need to have our clients with a sled strap behind them while they're doing farmer's carries. We don't need to do stuff like that or flipping a tire in front of them while they're dragging a sled. That's a no. <laughs> Probably not. Um, and I will say, you know, I, a uh, sled pull farmer carry like that combination style method. I do like those for the right people. Um, but you know, there are a lot of other things. Um, I see, you know, people doing Olympic lifting at the end of the day, Olympic lifting is great. If you're an Olympic lifter, 
And that's one of the th- beefs I have with, with CrossFit is like, you know, they say it's functional. Well, I don't know how many times I'm doing a snatch in everyday life. I mean, yeah, you say, oh, you're going to put something in the cabinet. I don't need a snatch to do that. I can do a one-arm overhead press. I can do a, you know, a goblet squ- or a landmine thruster, which, which is a global movement pattern. So if we want to get down to the biomechanics of it, there are plenty of movements that are safer and that yield a higher return on investment. So just think about whether or not what you're prescribing aligns with the client's goals and needs. Olympic lifting, you know, for nine out of 10 people really doesn't. Um, and I would even argue, even for someone who wants to train explosive strength, there are other ways that are better, in my opinion. And again, that's, that, that's a whole other topic, but um, it should, you're, what you're prescribing to the client should be the right fit for them. And I try to be very careful about my own biases because I don't have a background in Olympic lifting. And I'm inclined to agree with you. I like highlighting the good Olympic lifting coaches that I know if someone's looking for it here. I have some people I can refer you to. They're great at it. Uh, my friend Hannah Gray, for example, here in Edmonton is wonderful. <clears throat> but, you know, if I'm going to do explosive work with someone, let's say I've got some young athletes to work with, they're probably doing trap bar jumps. They're probably throwing medicine balls, that sort of stuff. Right. And that stuff will do, you know, most, if not the same sort of thing. And it also depends on the person in front of you. If I've got, if I've got young athletes who are really interested or experienced in Olympic lifting, they're going to work with someone else who knows Olympic lifting. If I've got a recreational adult athlete who doesn't possess the overhead mobility to go into Olympic lifting, especially in a ballistic motion, then I'm not going to turn around and say, Hey, you need to do Olympic lifts. Let's do some stuff that works for you. So let's go back to the thing I said about you being 17 years in the industry and that balance of having come up the way you did following the people we've talked about, you know, building the fundamentals of it and training in person, head down training clients for a decade. You know, I had a similar experience. My, I started this podcast, but I think it was seven and a half years into my career. I didn't even mess around with Instagram until probably after year nine. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you balance that with the potential that we have with online media, social media and keep yourself from, becoming that gatekeeper to say, well, you have to do it the way that I did it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, my, the way I did it was definitely, um, I think the, you know, doing, having things happen organically is, is, is the right way. It's kind of just what's meant to be with, you know, it's really your destiny. Um, and for me, I always loved programming. Um, I loved coaching people and I coached people for a long time. I owned a gym. I coached a lot of people at the gym was, was training people one-on-one and in a group setting. And, uh, you know, I, I just happened to have the opportunity to work with other gyms all over the world and affect more people. Um, you know, I, at one point in time, we had about 50,000 people a day doing our programming. So writing programming for CrossFit gyms all over the world, you know, I had over 200 gyms at its high point you know, do the average around, you know, 75 to hundred members per gym. There's a lot of people using my programming. So for me, it was just more fulfilling to say, well, I can affect more change. I can, you know, teach more people how to, to, uh, train smarter. And basically I started writing articles because I always wanted to write articles for teenage. I never thought I would be smart enough to write articles for teenage. And I think you probably, <laughs> I think we all probably have that same thing, yep. but I'm like, man, I would, you know, reading those articles all those years, I, I, I just felt compelled to want to pay it forward and, and do the same thing that was done for me. But I started writing articles more so because I had a lot of questions about my programming when I started working with other gyms. Um, so, you know, someone would ask, you know, a lot of people in the CrossFit space, they don't have their, their education is very limited. CrossFit's education is great for CrossFit, but it doesn't go a whole lot outside of that. So, people would ask, well, like, why are we doing all this accessory work? Or why are we doing farmer carriers or sled poles? So naturally I just wrote an, I, instead of just answering that question multiple times over, I would just write an article. And anytime someone asked that question, I just refer the article to them. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, everybody grab onto that. And this is what I, I tell people all the time. If you are getting these kinds of questions from your clientele, and you have a website, get a website done, seriously. If you're interested in getting into article writing, it seems very daunting, right? And you and I both are like, can't even believe that we're writing for TDH. That, that's, that's crazy to imagine. I never thought I could be that person. But you can start by taking the questions that people are asking you. You write an article or a blog or a, a very elaborate FAQ for your website. All of a sudden, you have an article. There it is. Boom. Don't worry about it being 
polished and perfect and edited. If you want to learn the skill of writing, I've got some great books for you. Message me. I'll, I'll tell you what books to, to read, but it gets you started. And it then does. that's a resource that you can now turn around and send to clients or people on your social media go, Hey, Hey, I have an article on that. There's a really cool feeling when someone asks me something I'm like, Hey, I wrote an article for Teen Nation on that. Here you go. Right in the DMS and people love it. So anyway, go back to what you were saying. I, yeah. I think that's a, that's a fantastic point. And I, again, that's kind of like what happened as far as like building my online business. And at the time I was only working with CrossFit gyms, um, but I was also working with their coaches too. So there was a lot of people I was trying to like st- sell on my, my style of training because my style of training was very different than the CrossFit side. We didn't do any random workouts. We did a lot of landmine. We did a lot of sled loaded carries. It was very structured. We didn't do high intensity workouts every day. And that's, I think, you know, one thing that I had, um, a lot of success with is their clients started, you know, just having insane results. I mean, they were hitting hundred pound PRs on their list, which I say now, and I, I still can't believe it, but people were hitting hundred pound PRs on the list because again, you know, you train the wrong way for so long, you start training the right way and you got a little bit of a base there and you know how to move with the foundational patterns. A lot of great things can happen. So uh, just the word of mouth of that spread. And then people would want to come on and sign up with my business because of the results they were hearing from other gym owners. So the content piece was really an integral part of that because without that, I don't think the business would have done as well as it did. And it also established me as an expert in that field. Um, so naturally I started sending, I sent, I think the first three or four articles I sent teenage and they didn't want, cause they were too much about CrossFit. <laughs> um, but one of my best articles for teenage is called CrossFit for meatheads. Um, and that article did really, really well. But you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that helped was sending articles to teenage. And then I sent articles to elite FTS and eventually they offered me like a spot as a, as a columnist and, you know, writing a monthly column for them, which is pretty cool. And, you know, writing, I wrote articles for John, uh, John, uh, John Rothson's website and all that stuff helped. So I think that, you know, you guys that are out there listening, we're in a very saturated space. And if you've seen any of the statistics, online training is going to grow exponentially in the next five years. It's predicted to go, I think, from 5 billion to 65 billion. Is that 5 billion currently just wrap that on for size to $65 billion in five years time. That's what it's projected at. So if you want to establish yourself, writing content is huge and it doesn't need to be a 4,500 word article, write a 500 word article about why you would program farmer carries or why your clients should be doing recovery work or going for a walk, whatever the case may be, write a 500 word article about it. doesn't have to be complex. I'm actually finding, I think you might agree with me that now it's changed so much. Like back in the day, I used to write three, 4,000 word articles and they would do really well. Now the short and sweet stuff, even like the podcast I do now, we do 20 minute or less episodes. So it's very short. And even the stuff that does well on social media now is like very, very short clips. So keep it short, keep it simple. And it's an easy way to build your credibility. If you have someone that's thinking of working with you, why should they work with you? You know, so that person can work with anyone. Why should they work with you? Show them that you're credible, that you know your stuff, and that don't you don't have to plaster before and afters on your social media. I, that's one thing I just can't stand. Give people free value, free value. Give them something that they can take action on, and you will gain clients. It might not happen right away. It might take some time, but just provide value in your posts. The before and afters once in a while are okay, but don't do that daily. Just post value, post something that they can take action on. And you will see that that's going to help build your business. You're speaking my language with this stuff. And you hit on a lot of the stuff that I, I've done a few presentations on. I've got a few more this year in, in brand building. And as you mentioned, you know, the industry can really feel saturated. If you accumulate things that give you credibility, when I read through what you've done in your career, writing for websites like T-Nation and Lead FTS, that gives you great authority and credibility in our space. People pay attention to it. The fact that you have a master's in exercise science is a piece of authority. It's not that, like we talk about, not everybody has to go and chase that, but sure. if it fits your ultimate goals and the education you need, then sure. The fact that you were a successful gym owner, the fact that you run a successful mentorship, these things are, and, that, and having a book, like that's huge. That's big, big, big. And I, I just did something for uh, my friend Dean Guido, who's my former podcast uh, co-host, and Jeb Johnston. They're part of uh, 
compound performances mentorship now. And I just did an internal presentation and it goes through all of these different things and everybody that we look up to that we've learned from that everyone listening who you consider industry leaders and educators, they have these big pieces of credibility and authority they built in their careers. So if you, if let's say you're listening and you have a small gym, a studio space, make that, make sure that's really forefront in your media. If you have God, if you've written a book, make sure people know about that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've got Mike Boyle writing books, but we also got, you know, lesser known figures in the industry. My buddy, Jason Lienartz, who's a podcast host and a, and a bunch of other things and owns a small facility, but he's got a book. He's got a page a day book that he took from quotes from his podcast, right? I'm in there. I got three pages in there. Cool. So <clears throat> look at the things that you love doing and you could build around. And I think one of the best places to start, like you said, is writing articles. A podcast is credible. If you're really good at YouTube, absolutely. But do more than social media. And I know there are examples of people who are blowing up on TikTok and they're doing okay with that. But uh, I, I think there needs to be more credibility in the long run for a successful career. And I've been sort of laughing at this. And like, if anybody's doing this, I apologize. But if, you're in, if your greatest accomplishment in your career in your Instagram bio is your TikTok following, then go get more, go build more. Uh, because that doesn't scream credibility to me when I'm looking around for people who, hey, I want to have that person on my podcast. Hey, I want to endorse that person's stuff. I want to recommend that person's programs to the people listening. So let's tell everybody about the, the programs you have that are there to help coaches. Yeah. So that's a great point. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm in this game. I know you're in this game to build relationships. I've had some of the same clients now for seven years. Um, I've got, and that's online. So online is obviously trickier. I don't see them in person, but I've built some incredible relationship. I've got a group of guys I've been working with this year. Uh, we've got 43 group, uh, guys in the group. They're all 35 plus. Most of them are dads. Some are actually granddads. We've got a couple of, of older guys in there that are doing great. Um, but it is a brotherhood. That is the stuff that I want. I want a brotherhood. I want like-minded people that are supporting each other. Um, and I mean, there's just nothing better than that. That's what, that's why you're a trainer. You didn't choose to be a trainer for any other reason, other than the fact you want to help people and you can help them by giving them free content. I wrote over a thousand articles in the last seven years. And you know what? I didn't get paid a whole lot. It, I mean, really nothing. You can't make a career on writing articles, at least from my point of view. Um, but a lot of free stuff, you got to do a lot of free stuff and, uh, just be okay with it because it's going to help you. Um, you know, since doing, doing uh, gym programming, I shifted and, and this is one of the things that, and I'm sure you probably better off because you have your business background, but I didn't have a business background. So, um, I think one of the other things you can do is diversify your knowledge instead of, I learned everything there was to know about strength and conditioning, but I can tell you what, I know, I bet, you know, a fuck of a lot more about business than I do, because that was always the thing for me that, you know, was a limiting factor, understanding, you know, just how to institute SOPs and how to manage employees. Um, so diversify your knowledge because this game is going online. Now you can have a hybrid and do both maybe, but you're going to have to be, learn how to run a business at some point or another. And if you're just a strength and conditioning guru like me, you're, you're you know, you're going to be, luckily I've got my wife um, who helps me because if she didn't, then I probably, I mean, I don't even know. Uh, it would be tough because there's just so many things behind the scenes, as you know. So, um, so needless to say, as far as writing programs go, um, the main mission for myself is, is helping people through training. Um, so I write training programs for individuals. We use the conjugate system. I teach people how to write programs through, uh, my programming playbook, which is basically the Holy grail of everything I've learned in my life about how to take action literally. And I hate to sound like a sales pitch, but you can open that thing up and take action <laughs> in 20 minutes and write better programs. There's no going through a million different modules. There's a lot of modules, but they're, you know, quick, digestible. Um, you're not going to have to read a textbook. You can see what's in there, use the templates, use the sample programming, see how it's done and start taking action literally tonight. Um, so that's, that's what I want because I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of confusion. If you read a textbook and you get stuck in like muscle physiology, you're going to be like, you're going to learn a lot of good stuff, but you're not going to know how to apply it in an actual practical setting. So uh, being able to take action to write great training programs so you can have clients for the next seven years. You're not constantly chasing new clients and, you know, trying to 
the DM game, like DM me if you want to work with me. It's, it's a tough one. You know, um, you're in a pool of a lot of people that are doing the same thing. And, you know, it's a numbers game. If you've got 500,000 followers and you do the DM thing, you're probably going to get a lot of people DM you. Um, but I think a better, you know, a more practical solution for most people that don't have a huge following is just to say, provide value, stick to the people that know you and trust you and continue to improve your craft. Because if you're working with someone and they're getting great results, they're looking the best, they're feeling the best. Why, why would they go elsewhere? They, they wouldn't. So I think at the end of the day, it's about building your business by being just an absolute master of writing great programs. And then, you know, the interpersonal stuff, I can't teach you that, <laughs> but you got to get good at it. You got to, you got to be able to communicate with people. You got to learn to connect with the people. Um, there are, I mean, you could probably recommend a lot of resources on that. The, the thing that I'm getting at here is like, don't be, what do they call it? A one trick pony. <laughs> don't be a one trick pony, learn business, learn how to write programs. If you feel weak in one area, go down the rabbit hole a little bit and improve that area. For me, it was conditioning back in the day. And guess what? Conditioning now is one of my strongest areas. So make that area of weakness a strength and the rest will fall into place. And just, you know, be a good person at the end of the day, because no one wants to work with a dick. Well, you just described applying the content <laughs> method to your career as a fitness professional, which I might turn into the title. I like that. There's a couple of things that I'll sort of add to that discussion. I think is, is valuable to look at. I like reading books and I binge books, but I like reading books on almost like mental models about decision-making and philosophy, your attitude about how you're going to approach a lot of different things, as opposed to reading and you get people who are like, Oh, you should only read a, a, a few books. You need to absorb and learn everything in them and blah, blah. It's like, uh, I don't really subscribe to that because I think the more ideas you expose yourself to, first of all, you can go back and really do deep dives into stuff. You're like, okay, this is fucking great. But I like things like Ryan Holiday's books on philosophy and uh, the all that stoic. I mean, that's a staple. That's, that's a great, great book. Stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, and it's like daily reminders, literally. Uh, and mm -hmm. I like the idea of having something kind of in your brain at all times, as opposed to just like, okay, I, I read this one book and then I don't go back to it for four years. Um, and then the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, really good book because it's a lot of the business and the life philosophies of a really successful venture capitalist turned philosopher. This sort of stuff is going to help you with how you approach different aspects of your career. And then on top of the, the philosophy and mental model side of stuff, it's going to still be behavioral change because that stuff's at the root of success with the client in front of you and communication. So I like books like Motivational Interviewing and Fitness and Nutrition a book like The Coaching Habit, Michael Stainer, Michael Bungie Stainer, that stuff's going to be really valuable. But I think, like you said, we've got to nail down the fundamentals. If we get really, really good at programming, and that's why I think people should be diving into your resources. So tell people where they can find this stuff, your website and your social media. Um, so I have a, a free download they can check out. Um, it's on my website, jasonbrowncoaching.com. And they can opt into that for free. And it's like basically my five-step guide of how to write better training programs. And it's very simple. Being in this for a long time, I've, the more, the longer and longer I do this, the thing I find that is the most, um, I would say attractive to me is simplicity with both programming and teaching other coaches. And there are just so many things that are overcomplicated right now. And I think that programming is one of those things that we can keep very simple. And if you have a system, it's going to be a lot easier to not only write better programs, but to make sure that you're putting your clients in the best possible position. There are so many other things. I think that we could, you know, I just realized as you were talking that someone hearing this might think like, well, shit, do I need to do, what do I need to learn? Do I need to do programming? Do I need to learn about this? Do I need to learn about that? I think that and, and I want your, your opinion on this too. I think that if I was like, what is the low hanging fruit right now? I think the first thing is to figure out who you love working with. You know, don't worry about your knowledge at this very moment right here. If you're sitting here listening to this, figure out who it is you want to work with. And then that's, everything goes towards that. So if, you know, for instance, for me, I love working with 35 plus guys. So everything I do kind of goes towards that in terms of, you know, 
I'm not talking about doing crazy workouts. I'm talking about the guy that, you know, has been in the trenches, maybe like an old school meathead, but still wants to hit some PRs, but he has to have training support his life outside of the gym. So those are the kind of things that I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about like how to help someone get better at like CrossFit or uh, maybe Olympic lifting. It is more directed towards that. So I think that if you can figure out who your ideal client is, um, you know, just really more from the business perspective, that will help you create your content, your social media. And if you create articles, so remember that when you create an article, that's an easy place, like for a call to action, like, Hey, here's my top five loaded carry variations and read the full article on my website. That is a great way to get you the right clients. Um, and of course, you know, I think that you should be understanding how to write a great program, but I do think that if you can nail down these things early on, if you plan to go online, 100% nail this stuff down now. So it doesn't become an issue because I will tell you from personal experience, it was very hard transition going from working with just CrossFit gyms than to individuals. And I, I started off working with individuals. I actually, I had no plan to work with CrossFit gyms. It just happened. Um, but needless to say, like I've changed my name of my business. I mean, you probably know I was box programming. I was BP training system. I'm Jason Brown coaching. You know, I, it's, it's really tricky. And I, I hate to see other people make those same mistakes that I made where you're, you know, essentially you're trying to figure out who you are, figure out who you are and then reverse engineer. I will leave out this one point, And I like where you ended up with Jason Brown coaching. We, we have all these people out there with relatively generic names. And some of you listening are probably going to go, Oh yeah, my Instagram handle, my, my business is a fairly generic name. And I think that's, that's okay. If you're precision nutrition, Renaissance periodization is my other example. Mm -hmm. Think about it this. Do we know who Renaissance periodization and precision nutrition are juggernaut training systems because they've got great names or do we know who they are because they have really successful business models with some really smart people behind them after years and years of their work to establish brand and media and articles and books and what have you. Now precision nutrition has meaning to us because of everything that brand has done underneath that name. That name didn't create the brand. The brand and all its work validated the, the name. So I believe that, especially when we're individual coaches, the, the brand strength is around our own name, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the names we've talked about, someone like Tony Gentilcore, you know, even his physical facility is called Core. Cool. It's a play on his yeah. name, right? Eric Cressy and uh, Cressy Sports Performance P2P all the time. They, they lament having called it Cressy, but in a lot of ways, we also know that the strength of it is branded around Eric Cressy's name because he was writing a lot of big articles for Teenage in the early days and he'd grown a big brand. So mm -hmm. I, I really think that the individual coach, skip the generic name, your media really should. It's like if I have someone on Instagram and they don't have their name in their, their handle or their, or their bio, it's like, fuck, I can't remember this person's name. Whereas like the name yeah. stands out to me. So there's a lot of value in that. So we'll leave everybody with that one. Uh, if, well, we don't, we were, uh, your, your Instagram, it's just, just Jason Brown coaching. Yeah. So easy to find. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there, there's tons of resources on my site. I mean, you've got an article. I mean, everything I've talked about aerobic training conjugate, I've got multiple articles about conjugate. I've got uh, a ton of articles on T nation, tons of articles on elite FTS. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of free stuff that you can potentially, educate yourself on everything I've talked about. There is everything you could want for free there for you. So you don't have to spend a dollar with me. I'm not on this podcast to sell anything. Um, you know, if you get in a lot of times people get into, you know, using, you know, one of my training programs, which are, you know, all under a hundred bucks, use a training program. You get the best results of your life. That's why I usually have coaches come to me. They use a training program. They get the better, better results than they've ever gotten. They go want to know why they did. Um, so that kind of, you know, leads them down that path. And again, that's how it worked for me too, which is kind of ironic that conjugate led me down this path and to look into these various areas. So, um, there's plenty of stuff there for free. I have got free programming, uh, programs all over the internet, all of my, um, on my site. So check that stuff out, absorb it and take it for what it is. There's a lot of resources and information that you've, you've put out over the years. So I re, the reason why I bring people on here and the reason why I wanted you to have you on for a long time is because you've been doing a really great job with this stuff. So for everybody listening, 
for those of you who already know Jason, amazing. Those of you who haven't done too much of a dive, start with the social media, dig around the website, look for some stuff that interests you, see where the rabbit hole takes you, but go follow Jason. I really appreciate having you on. For everybody listening, thank you again. Uh, appreciate your patronage and the fact that you're, you're here with me. So I just had Brett Bartholomew on last week. Uh, Chris Duffin was recent. These are some really smart people. Tom Morrison, go check out their stuff. I got Natalia Mello Wilson next. She's a former Miss Olympia bikini winner who's a really cool coach in our space. So I'm looking forward to chatting with her. And I'm going to pull her into T Nation. We're going to do an article together. And hopefully hopefully it works out the way I've got it planned. <laughs> uh, it'll be really cool, actually. People will like this thing. And uh, if anybody's finding me through Jason's media, uh, hey, just check out some of the other guests that we've had on recently. If you're really into the strength and conditioning stuff, scroll back a little bit. Joel Jamison's been on and Martin Rooney, Luca Hosovari, you name it. A lot of good people. So thanks for tuning in. I appreciate everybody. Jason, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Awesome, brother. Appreciate you having me.